you found Luke chapter 4, I'm going to read the text to you, and then we'll say a prayer and we'll get underway. Luke writes, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil then led him to a high place and showed him in an instance all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and all their splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anybody I want to. So if you worship me, said the devil, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. Let's pray. Our Father and our great God, Lord, we do thank you this morning for the opportunity to come into this house this morning to give you worship, to praise your name, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to you, our Father. And God, we're thankful for the opportunity uh, to sit at the Lord's table and to remember Uh, the sacrifice that he made, and uh, all the joy that that brings as we look forward to Easter and knowing that he triumphed over the grave, and in him we have true resurrection power, even in our bodies today. And Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to give into the work of the church, and now, Lord, as we come to a time of, of sermon, we pray, God, that as we study your text this morning, that you will be with us, Lord, that by your Spirit, that you would illuminate the text, that by your grace, Lord, you would enable us to hear the things that you have for us to say. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You know, life is uh, full of seasons. Uh, We're in a sort of precious seasons right now. We have nine grandbabies, so all of our kids are grown and, you know, in their 30s. Amazing. I know what you're thinking. He doesn't look that young or old, but yeah, so... And our uh, two-and-a-half, soon-to-be three-year-old granddaughter lives with us, her and her mom. She's a single mom. So our lives are full of baby shark, 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 you know, and mama shark. And Mickey, I, I was uh, going to the house, you know, get, grabbing a few things as we were walking out the door and walked past uh, our bed, and there's Minnie Mouse and a teddy bear, and it's, it's sort of a precious season for us. So life is full of seasons. Some seasons are good. Some seasons aren't so great. Some seasons can be really painful. But we have to go through various seasons of life to to get where God wants us. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we believe? Don't we believe in a God who is sovereign over all things? Don't we believe that there is a God in heaven who right this very second now is watching you navigate your life? No, church. Not just watching you navigate your life, but walking with you as you navigate this life. Isn't that the hope that we have this morning, that we're really not alone? (laughs) That all of this isn't even up to us? 
that it's not up to our power, it's not up to our strength, it's not up to our might to, to win the day for the Lord, but that the battle belongs to the Lord and not to us. Now we need to be involved in, in plenty of battles, plenty of fights, plenty of opportunities. But it is the Lord. The Lord who is the victor. Christ was victorious over the grave. He is the powerful One. He sits now at God's right hand in full command of the universe. And anything that happens on this little blue planet in which we dwell, even those things that the enemy, the tempter might come to us and say, all of that has to be taken to the throne room of heaven and God has to okay whatever happens. Do you believe the story of Job? Do you believe that the enemy went to God, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of all God's people, and said, look, this Job guy, he talks a good game, but I tell you what, if you let me mess with him enough, he will reject you. Remember the story? Isn't that something how the enemy had to go to God to get God's permission to do something one of God's people? I mean, is that the worldview? Is that the way you see your life? Life is full of seasons, and, and some of the seasons uh, that we go through are seasons of preparation. I draw your attention to Luke chapter 4 this morning because it is a season of preparation. In some faith communities this morning, they would be talking about the church season of Lent. And this would be a text very appropriate for those who are participating in walking with Jesus to the stages of His life. And during the Lenten season, the 40 days prior to Easter uh, Sunday morning, uh, the church community at large in, in, in different faith, communities, whether however it's expressed in your life, thinks about all that the Lord has done with the anticipation of Easter Sunday morning. The good news, when the battle is ultimately won. Well, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 4 this morning. There are sort of two bookend passages that I want to, I want to turn you on to as well. As we look at Luke chapter 4 this morning, uh, there's about three different uh, roles that I want to explore. Uh, one is the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in, in Luke chapter 3, Luke describes, this is the, the, the first incident sort of before, uh, the most previous uh, uh, thing that happens before His temptation is the baptism of Jesus. And, and Luke records in chapter 3, verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying. And as he was praying, uh, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form as if a dove. And then a voice from heaven came down. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. You're, do you remember your baptism? Assuming you have been. You may not have been. But for those of us who have, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to explore that opportunity that you have. But there's something magical that happens in the way we feel about ourselves on the day of our baptism. In truth, it's not different than any other day. It's just perhaps more of a recognition of the fact that we need the Lord. Uh, it, it, is a, it is an opportunity for us to, be, uh, to die to ourselves and to our sinfulness. Jesus didn't have any of those problems. But as, imagine the scene as the Lord comes up from the waters of baptism. The heavens open. And the Holy Spirit descends, and a thundering voice from heaven comes and says, "This Now this is my Son, and I'm well pleased in Him. The Holy Spirit is keenly involved in the reality of letting everyone who would care uh, to listen or read the text as we would, 
in our day that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus existed as an eternal Son of God before the heavens and the earth were created. In fact, Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons of the Godhead. But in this scene, we see the Holy Spirit. And, and it's interesting that as Jesus walked on the earth, He submitted Himself so much. Just write down Philippians chapter 2, 5-11, through 11, and look at that this week. Jesus submitted so much to the human process that all the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus would say over and over and over again, the Son can do nothing without whom? The Father. I didn't come to speak for myself, He would say over and over and over. I came to speak the words of who? The Father. And all the way through the Gospel text, Jesus, who is God, who is the Son of God, is guided and led by the Holy Spirit into all kinds of things. Some of it is wonderful, i.e. the baptism tax. The very next thing that happens to Jesus is that, the, the look at verse 4, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus full of what? Full of who? The Holy Spirit returned to the Jordan. The, the very next thing that happens, Jesus Christ comes up out of the waters of baptism. Wasn't it a good day? It, it, it changes you. It makes you feel different about yourself. You feel pure. You feel clean. And that lasts for about 45 minutes until you, you know, call somebody a bonehead and recognize that sin is still a struggle. But for a split second, when you come up out of the waters, you feel all that pureness, all that wholeness, all that white as snow, and it is very much a spiritual reality. I don't mean to suggest otherwise. Hear me now. But it, when we come up out of the waters of baptism, what was the next thing that you did? What was the next opportunity that God gave you? Maybe you went had some good fried chicken with somebody. Maybe you had some country fried steak. I don't know where you were baptized. That would, that would matter, probably. <laughs> What, what your cuisine was. But the very next thing that happens to Jesus after He's brought up out of the waters of baptism is that He's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil, i.e., this is not a mistake. When Jesus Christ was tempted of the devil, it was not by accident. It was on purpose. It was ordained by God our Father and He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, we don't think about God doing those kinds of things. And He certainly wouldn't do it to us. Is that right? Do we have Bibles? Have we read them? Doesn't God test His people? Never tempts, but tests us. He tests our faith. He tests our commitment. He tests our resolve. He tests whether or not we really believe what we say. Now, you may not like that about God, but it don't matter what you like, church. That is a fact of the Bible. And we have to wrestle with that. We have to be okay with that. We have to submit to a God who may, at times, put us in harm's way. Jesus then, standing in harm's way. Let me say one thing about temptation and then come back to Luke 4. Would that be okay? It'll be okay. James chapter 1, verse 13. I want to make this abundantly clear that according to James... There are two kinds of temptations. And, and I bring this to your attention because I am on purpose only going to talk about one kind. James says this, When tempted, verse 13, no one should say, God is what, church? Tempting me. Why? 
Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. Look at verse 14 of James chapter 1. But everyone is tempted when? When by their own evil desires they are dragged away and enticed. Where does, tem- where does temptation come from? In this case, internally. Out of us. Our own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin... When it's full grown, gives birth to what? Yeah. Now, also in James chapter 1, and we won't take the time, so just write James chapter 1 and look at that this week too. I've, I've already given you Philippians 2, so no more homework. Hopefully we can get through this without another homework assignment. But, but in James chapter 1, there are two kinds of trials or temptations. Trials and often come from external forces at us. So James would talk about, you know, uh, be considered all joy when you go through some stuff from the outside that attacks you uh, because knowing that God can somehow use that uh, to create you into a, a, a better you. And then he also talks about in, in, this uh, temptations that come from the inside. So today, what kind of temptation are we going to talk about? External. Why is it external? Because Jesus lived without what? You, you can talk. It's, it's okay. Mike's not here. I won't tell him. What's the answer? Jesus was without what? Sin. So Jesus cannot be tempted from inside of Himself. Does that make sense? But church, we can. So just know that there are other Scriptures that emphasize that. What I'm going to be addressing today are temptations that come from the outside i.e. the enemy of our soul, the devil, the evil one, the enemy, the serpent of old, the father of lies, who stands against you right now. I want to talk about those temptations. The temptations that come from inside of you, you can, you can deal with that another time. So the role of the Holy Spirit is key here in that the Holy Spirit was present at the baptism of Jesus, affirming, sealing His identity by giving the sign that John said would come that the Holy Spirit would descend on one who who John baptized, and that's how John would know that it was Jesus, the Messiah, uh, or the Christ, uh, who had been baptized. And then then the Holy Spirit is the one who tempts Jesus in chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and then in 14 we see the Holy Spirit again. So these are the bookends. One bookend is the baptism of Jesus, The other bookend is when he comes out of the desert uh, victorious over the enemy. He's had a successful battle with the enemy where he's not fallen into uh, the lies that the enemy can tell so well. By that Holy Spirit then, the text says that he was full of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit and he marches into Nazareth. It's his day to read the Scripture. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and he finds a place where it says what? The Spirit of the Lord is where? Upon me. You see the bookends? Church, the Holy Spirit before, after, and smack dab in the middle. None of this happens without God's oversight. None of this happens without the empowerment and the equipping of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, The same is true of you. You cannot be who God wants you to be void of the power that comes by His Spirit to fulfill what He wants you to do. You cannot in the flesh do what God wants. 
How do I know that? Because we have Bibles. And what does the Bible say over and over and over? It was because of the, the fact that we could not do it. God sent a Savior. If we needed Him then, how much more do we need Him now? You think you get saved and then, I got the power! And then you just walk around in your own strength and your own might and, and handle business? That's not the way. It's, listen, you can talk that way at a party and you can bring a lot of people by, to Christ by lying to them and telling them, look, if you come to Jesus, life will get easier. Show me that passage in the Scripture. That is a lie. And so what happens is, is those people believe your witness. They might come to saving faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, be perfectly saved, and then life hit them smack dab in the face. And when life hits them smack dab in the face, who do they blame? You? No. Who do they blame? He just must not like me. My baby wouldn't be sick if God loved me. My wife wouldn't have split if God loved me. They would have never laid me off if God loved me. The enemy wouldn't keep bringing that sin I committed in 1964 up if he loved me. You with me? Church, we've got to learn to talk about this. For real. Because when we get honest about the true faith struggle, and when we get honest about the true battles of what it means to walk in Christ's likeness, then we'll have some authenticity, and we can help people who don't know the Lord understand what they're about to get into. Because what you are inviting someone into, when you're inviting someone into a saving uh, relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are inviting them into a boxing ring. The great theologian Muhammad Ali, that's a joke. But he said something pretty good. Everybody got a plan till you get hit in the face. Isn't that the story of the Christian world? You come up out of the waters of baptism, you're taking on the world, Jack, and then the enemy lands one smack dab in your face. Everybody got a plan till they get smacked. We need to prepare for battle. Okay, so let's look at the text. Would that be all right? So the Holy Spirit is involved in this, and then the enemy is involved in this. I'm not going to give the enemy a lot of press, but just to remind you of who we're dealing with. The enemy is the one who whispers doubt. He's the one who, in Genesis chapter 3, came to Eve and, and said, Did God really say? Did God really say that? He whispers seeds of doubt. Je Jesus himself, in John chapter 8, calls uh, the enemy. Uh, he said, He's not just a liar. Uh, this is Jesus. Uh, he is the father of lies. By the way, the context of John chapter 8 is a conversation that he's having with people about the fact that he and God are one. That he is divinity. And because they didn't believe that, he called them children of the devil. That's in John chapter 8. You can study that for yourself. Luke chapter 4, and we'll see this in a minute, that the enemy uses Scripture to tempt God's people. And he turns it around and he twists it just enough where it sounds really good. In Job, I mentioned this earlier, he is the accuser of the brethren. That's also in Revelation chapter 12. We'll look at that text in a minute. The enemy has one job, church, to stand in God's face and tell him, you are not who you claim to be. And that's something. Now, he might come at you and tell you that in your face, and that's okay. But what he loves to do is go before the Father and say, you know that person over there that you really think they don't love you? Let me show you how much they don't love you. And God says, hey, I love them, and that's enough. See, can you believe that? That's the question this morning. 
Can you believe that your salvation is not based on how much you love Him, but based on how much He loves you? Praise God. That your salvation is not based on your ability to be faithful, but on His ability to be faithful. Isn't that something? Well, how would that change the way that you approach the Father? I saw these memes all over Facebook. I don't know who said it, but religion is the thought, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, I messed up, don't tell Dad. But the Christian walk is, I messed up, I need to call Dad. You see the difference in the two approaches? To how we, listen, most of this is about whether or not you believe who you are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop thinking about yourself in human terms. Somebody jot down 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21, where Paul talks about the fact that there was a time when they saw Jesus Christ in terms of flesh and blood. But in Christ, we are new creations. We shouldn't see each other that way anymore. We need to have God's perspective of who we are. A five, a 16 through 21. Thank you. And then the, other, the last text about the enemy uh, is that he masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. We have a crafty adversary. When he comes at you, he's not going to wear the red suit with the horns and the tail and the pitchfork. He's going to come to you disguised as a friend who whispers foolishness that you will believe. He's going to come disguised as someone that you respect and love and who you think loves you and would never turn you aside. He may show up as an angel, some sort of angelic uh, being or, or speaker or, or however you would interpret that for your life today. He masquerades. He deceives He's full of trickery and lies. But he believes what God said about you. The problem is you don't. He knows who you are in Christ Jesus. You don't. Or you do, but you really don't believe it. You really don't believe you can be victorious. You really don't believe you're sinless. You really don't believe that His righteousness is all you need. You really don't believe that you are blameless because of what He did. Never because of what you do. Because if you believe that, we stop talking about what a sorry sack of sinners we are. And start praising Jesus Christ that He did defeat the enemy. And in His victory, we will walk, not based on our own merit. Based on His. Isn't that good news? Oh, church, the scene is set. The enemy comes. The Holy, the Holy Spirit set Jesus up, man. He just led Him out in the desert to be tempted on purpose. And there's three temptations that happen. The first temptation is a matter of provision. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And the key question here is, will God really take care of me? Have you ever asked that question? Just to yourself or to a really trusted friend? Look, I'm just in this situation. I just don't know if God's really going to provide for me or not. I didn't meet my quota or whatever you think. And Jesus answers the enemy always with Scripture. The first time he says it is, man shall not live by bread alone. That's from Deuteronomy 8.3. The second temptation has to do with power and priorities. Now, I don't know what made the devil think that he has the authority to give anything to Jesus, but he believes that he does. And in fact, there are other biblical texts that talk about the fact that for right now, the earth is the enemy's territory. That we live in occupied land. That he has authority and power here. 
Now, we don't have to listen to him or, or follow his whatever. But I believe the Scripture, so I believe somehow the enemy really did show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he really did tempt him by saying, I can give you authority and splendor in all of these places if you just worship me. And Jesus says, and the question is, can I trust God and put him first? Jesus said, absolutely. Deuteronomy 6.13, the Scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the third temptation is presumption. This is perhaps the most deadly sin that we commit. It's the sin that would have Moses strike a rock instead of do what God said. It's a presumption. And so watch this in, in verse 9. The devil led him, so he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. Now there's one specific kingdom. Let me show you. Okay, let me just show you Jerusalem then. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down because it is written. The, the enemy uses Scripture against Jesus. Now, we don't have time to discuss warfare strategy and the art of war, but it, once you learn the enemy's tactics and you learn how they approach you, you adjust your plan. The enemy figured out that Jesus was going to use Scripture, so what sword does he draw next? Scripture. Isn't that something? The enemy. <laughs> Quoting the Bible. Can I say something as, as delicately as I can? The enemy knows the Bible better than you do. I'll go further than that because I love you. The enemy understands the Bible better than you do. Meaning he truly understands who God is. He truly understands the threat of who Jesus was in the flesh. He truly understands the operation of the Holy Spirit, the power and the authority that you can walk in the earth victorious through Christ Jesus. The problem is we don't believe that. Or we struggle. Maybe that's a better word. Because on a good day, it's easy, right? <laughs> on a good day, we can believe. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, right? That's an old camp song, I think. I don't know where that... You know, when you preach, just stuff comes out, and you go, I don't know what that... I did. You know. But watch Jesus, church. Watch Him closely. The question He's wrestling with, or that we wrestle with, it was no wrestling with Jesus. The question is this, will I wait on God to move or try to move God? In other words, am I going to force God's hand to get what I want? Now look, I know all the... Pa I don't, well, all is a bit presumptuous, ironically. Uh, I know many of the passages that you're thinking of right now. Yeah, 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 but the priest had to put their toe in, in the water before it opened, right? And you've got to have faith. And, you know, I, I, look, I get all that. Presumption is not faith. Forcing God's hand is not faith. If God tells you to demonstrate faith, then that's faith. If you decide that if you go out and stand in traffic and you say something dumb like, okay, Jesus, I'm here, and if the 18-wheeler hits me, so be it, but I believe that the 18-wheeler... That is stupidity, not faith. Presumption. The enemy uses Scripture to create presumption. This is why we need to learn how to handle the Word of God correctly. Will I wait on God or will I try to move God? Jesus said, no, 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 no. Look, Deuteronomy 6.16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God is so patient with us. Praise God, He never runs out of patience. Do you believe that about our God? 
that if you are in Christ Jesus, he has patience abundant. He has grace abundant for you. Patience, 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 a mile long and a mile deep is the patience of God. But Jesus said, look, that's not a reason for me to, to, to push him, to make him be patient. And then verse 13, Luke just sort of sums all this up. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So there's another uh, person that we should talk about or another role. We talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the role of the enemy. The, the role of, of Jesus is clear from the text. But I want to talk for just a few minutes, and I'll be done, about our battle with Satan. Now, I'm going to assume that you believe you're in one. If you don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to justify the, re, the spiritual reality for you. But I want to just give you three verses in victory. Because I know what it is to sit and question. I know what it is to sit and ask, will God really take care of us if we do what he said? Will he really take care of me if I do what I believe he's calling me to do? I've asked that question many times. Haven't we asked the question, can I really trust God by putting him first? Can I really prioritize him over everything else in my life? And haven't we sat around and asked questions like, will I wait on God to move or am I going to try to force his hand to let me have what I really want? So if these ring true at all, let me give you some verses in victory that I think would be helpful for us. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. And a precursor, I'm not going to do any of these any justice, meaning we don't have time to really explore the depth and the riches of them. But I trust that you can write them down. I trust, Mike, I trust your, your eldership can work with you and teach you more fully uh, anything that I may uh, throw out uh, that, that causes questions. But, but hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, we have a high priest in 514 of Hebrews. He has gone through the heavens. He is Jesus, the son of God. So let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Why? Because we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was, say the words, church, without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace and peace to help us in our time of need. Let me give you a practical exercise that you can do anytime. This is free, by the way, that where you can check where your uh, sort of your status of your faith in Jesus Christ, where you really stand with the Lord in terms of whether it's a healthy or an unhealthy posture when you sin. If you think, if the words you hear from Jesus is, you are such a loser. I cannot believe. Can you? Can you, Look, Dad, can you believe that? What, that's your first thought, church? You don't know who Jesus is yet. <laughs> you may have heard of him, but you don't walk with him in, in faithfulness and in fullness and in true fellowship. Because if you did, you would believe this scripture when it says, when we sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us win church in our time of need. When we need Jesus the most, sometimes we want to run from him because we're afraid that he will punish us. Church, he died on the cross so that when we sin, we run to him all the more. We can we can have confidence that we can approach him. So we submit to seasons of preparation like this. We go through the battle 
not to demonstrate our ability to withstand temptation. This is not about your performance. That is not this sermon. And hopefully it would never be a sermon that I would ever preach to anybody where you sort of earn your stripes in that way. These seasons allow us to connect with Jesus' sufferings that we might have fellowship in His humility and in His humiliation. Well, that's Hebrews 4, 15, 16, a little bit of the Apostle Paul, which I, I don't really have time to get there. You might look at Philippians chapter 3, that I may know Christ and His sufferings and have fellowship in His death. Key word, fellowship. Listen, whatever Jesus went through, I want to go through too. That's a scary thing to say, isn't it? Because he went through some stuff, didn't he? But in doing so, our trust grows in the one from where our help comes. Let me show you two more verses and we'll be done. 5-7 of Hebrews. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with what? Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, why, church? Because of his reverent submission. In places like Luke chapter 4 in that desert, in places like Gethsemane, if you'll allow me to uh, parenthesize that as if it were in the text. It's not. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience. How? From what he, what? Say the word. Suffered. And once he was made perfect, he became what? The source of eternal salvation for who? For everybody uh, who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We submit to seasons of preparation to give our focus and put, keep our focus on the one who was victorious. These seasons that we go through where the enemy comes, and look, not every day, the enemy doesn't come for me every day. It doesn't feel like that. I don't want to hyperbolize this where every day is a boxing ring and you're getting knocked out every day. But you, but you know what it is to struggle, don't you, with sin and with the enemy? Do you know what it is to struggle with temptations? Okay, we go through those times to remind us that his victory was not his alone, but his victory was ours. <laughs> you go up against the enemy by yourself, you're going to get knocked down and beat up. You can't beat him, but the Lord can. The Lord has. And because of that, he's a source of life. One more text from Revelation chapter 12. John left on the island of Patmos to watch the end of the world in the DVD box cut edition or something like that. And then God told him, write all this down and don't, don't you change a word. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come the salvation, the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. Why? Because the accuser of our brothers, I'm in 1210 of Revelation, for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God, how often? Day and night has been what? Say the words. Hurled down. Praise God. They overcame Him, verse 11, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Church, we battle temptations. We get reminded that haters are going to hate and liars are going to lie. But Jesus has defeated the Father of all lies. Isn't that good news? And one day he will put him down for good. And there'll be no more fighting then. We'll be with God in his eternity where everything is perfect. And he is with us every day. He's with us right now. The problem is it doesn't feel that. It feels a bit like McKinney right now. But the day will come. And the enemy of your soul will be put down and put down for good 
And we will dwell with God in a place created by him for us. And there won't be any lamps there or any light bulbs there because Jesus will be there and he is the light. And so when we go through these times of temptations, these seasons, I think they're as hard as they feel. It really is an opportunity to celebrate because we know that we have already overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We've already, we've already been victorious and that our testimony is the testimony about Him, not our own witness. We are witnesses of Him. May we learn to live in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in such a way to honor Him as we remember always that our victories are never about our willpower or our self-control. Oh, those, are, those are good disciplines to have. But our spiritual victory comes from the Lord, our God, who sent a Savior that we might be saved and live with Him for eternity. Let's pray. Our Father and our great God in heaven, Lord, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory today, Lord, because we know from your word we've been reminded in so many different ways in your word this morning, God, that you are the victor, and that we are victorious. If we are victorious at all, it will only be because we are in Christ. It will never be because of our own righteousness, of our own actions, of our own deeds, of our own discipline, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It will never be because, Lord, that we were somehow measured up to something standard, Lord, but it will only be because we are in Christ Jesus, who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And so we appeal to our great high priest, looking for grace and strength and help in our time of need. Through Christ we give you praise, glory, and honor. Church said.